The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You can ride that um, underdog deal for for some amount of time, but when you when you become um, you know good, I guess is the best way to say it. At some point, uh, you got to also know how to how to how to be good and and I think that comes over time and I think what you're seeing is the maturation and professionalism and leadership uh, of our players they didn't want to admit it it meant a lot to uh, both sides you know it's a lot of pride on the line for us you know we're trying to get them to do seed and um, you know, we're putting ourselves in a position where you know we can go get that in week 17 and, and we know that we got a hungry Miami team coming to us and um, you know they're they're playing to get into the playoffs and uh, we got to be ready for the thing that, that they can throw at us they did say that uh, you said that you weren't buying into the Josh Allen MVP craze a, a couple times. Is that a fair interpretation of, of what you said to them? I've said multiple times that Josh Allen's a good football player and he's played well and he's having a good year. Tuesday edition of PFTPM, Shereen Williams and Mike Florio. I'm going to do that the whole show, like Bill. I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to sit back and do this. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Better than the Patriots. It's still something I can't get used to, seeing the Patriots (laughs) on the wrong end of a score like that and feeling like it's the beginning, not some sort of fluke or aberration like the Lawyer Malloy game from 2003, which started 31-0 to the Bills, ended with a 31-0 win over the Bills and culminated in a Super Bowl win. The question this year is, can the Bills get to the Super Bowl and win it? We'll be talking about all sorts of things relating to Week 16, we've got a Steelers-Colts rewatch coming up. We've got the awards edition of PFTPM, Offensive Defensive Rookie of the Week, Coach of the Week. But before we get to that, what you need to know, and it begins in Pittsburgh, where it wasn't clear in the immediate aftermath over the Steelers' win over the Colts whether or not they would give some of their key players the bye week that they never got this year because, as you'll remember, week four, they practiced and prepared to face the Titans. That game got pushed back three weeks to their bye week, and then the Steelers spent their bye week practicing and preparing and ultimately playing. And then they've had their schedule screwed around and bumped around and moved around, and it was always someone else's fault, but they had to deal with the aftermath. Now the Browns will be dealing in a good way with the fact that the Steelers are planning to rest Key starters, including quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, which means Mason Rudolph, Shereen, as you said yesterday, will start against the Browns and Miles Garrett. Here is Mike Tomlin from earlier today explaining his decision to reporters. The one buy available in this uh, in this single elimination tournament, um, you know, we're not going to be that team. We made that bid, so we're prepared to lay in it. That's the most significant variable for us. And so that being said, uh, given an opportunity to airmail a player or two to the postseason, we will. Uh, ben will not be playing this week. We'll turn toward Mason Rudolph and our young quarterback positional group and, and give those guys an opportunity. Um, we'll look potentially uh, at resting 
some other guys in terms of making them inactive, but the number of those guys and who those guys are um, will be determined as we push through the week. Make no mistake about it, um, it does not change our intentions in terms of going to Cleveland this weekend. Uh, football is our game. Our job is winning. We intend to do our job. We intend to prepare with that mindset and ultimately let our play lead us to that destination. Um, we're not seeking comfort. We're not grading ourselves on the curve. Uh, this game is on the schedule. And so the guys that will be on the field will represent us and the standard that is the Pittsburgh Steelers will be the standard. Well, yes, it will be the standard, but we saw last year what happens when Ben Roethlisberger doesn't play. Mason Rudolph was not good. Duck Hodges was not good, although compared to Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges was pretty good. And now Mason Rudolph gets a chance to try to show people that by not playing this year, practicing, learning, studying, whatever, he's gotten better. The Steelers do not need the game. The Browns desperately do. It is a gift to the Browns. And I always say you want to keep division rivals out of the playoffs if you can although between the Browns and the Ravens I think the Steelers would be better off keeping the Ravens out if they could not the Browns I think the Steelers could deal with the Browns a lot more easily than they could deal with the Ravens what do you think though is this the right move for the Steelers to consciously take the foot off the gas when there's still a chance in theory to finish the number two seed well, one thing, Mike, that, that has gone unnoticed in all this is the change where only the top seed gets the bye this year. So if this was last year or the year before or whatever, the Steelers would be playing their starters this week because they would want to try to get that two seed to get the bye week, and then they would have their quote-unquote bye next week, right? But they can't do that with the change to the playoff format. Only one team gets that, and that's going to be the Chiefs this year. So. They can rest their starters, and I get why they're doing it. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has been banged up. There's no question about that. They didn't get their bye week, as you said. They've had a long stretch here, and they've talked a lot about being mentally and physically tired. So I get why they're doing it. At the same time, this is a football team that has not played good except for one half over the last four games, and that was the last half that they played. Can they take this week off and then continue what they did in the second half against the Colts? I don't know if they can do that or not. I do have some questions about how they've gotten back to where they are now and if they can get back to that 11-0 stretch the way they were playing, especially with all the defensive starters that they've lost, Mike. It's a tough call. I get it. If, I'm, if I am Mike Tomlin, I'd probably rest Ben Roethlisberger for sure this week, but I do go out and try to win this game to try to keep the momentum going. Yeah, there's been this nagging question about whether and to what extent Ben Roethlisberger is injured. There will be reports from time to time, typically of the Sunday splash variety, that suggest Roethlisberger has knee problems. You look at the injury reports, no mention of any knee problems in recent weeks. Not since week 13 was he disclosed as having a knee issue. So it's unclear whether and to what extent he is healthy. He has recently said he's not 100%, but at this time of the year, no one is. The rest, though, I think will help him. It definitely can hurt him. And as Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs head and told me on Sunday after they clinched the number one seed in beating the Atlanta Falcons 17-14, it's not a week off. It's a different week. You don't play a game, but you still practice. You work on your body. You work on your weaknesses. You prepare for your next opponent. You think about other things than playing a team that coming Sunday or Saturday, as the case may be, in the wild card round. But still, it's a break from the grind. 
the week in and week out, knowing you've got a game coming up. And in the wild card round, obviously it's a game that could knock you out of the playoffs. For the Steelers, there's no downside to losing this game other than being the three seed. But I will say this. If it does come down to divisional round, Steelers, Bills, you'd rather the Bills come to Pittsburgh than have to go to Buffalo to play the Bills. But as Mike Tomlin weighs the various factors in his mind, because the Bills also would have to lose and the Steelers would have to win, and maybe you're out there burning up more of whatever Ben Roethlisberger has left in the tank and wasting it because the Bills beat the Dolphins, he decides that it's better to just say, we'll go to Buffalo if we have to go to Buffalo, and uh, we won't bring them here. And and this reminds me of something T.J. Watt told me after the game this past Sunday, the idea that it's not the same in Pittsburgh, and they haven't gotten used to not having fans there. They have to find their own energy week in and week out. Maybe they can feed off of the negative energy that the 6,700 fans, if that plan is approved in Buffalo, will be throwing down to the field as the Steelers and the Bills get ready to play. So I understand why Tomlin is doing it because in large part of the fact that they've had this screwy upside-down schedule. And if it means conceding the two-seed to the Bills, so be it. In any other year or in any past year when it would mean something like you said, or in any future year where having home field advantage means something more because you're playing those games in front of fans, I would say go for it. This year, I can understand why he's, why he's not doing it, especially because Ben Roethlisberger's been so rickety. Shereen, I, I am curious to see how many other guys end up getting that game off. The defense seemingly needs the rest more than the rest of the offense. If anything, the rest of the offense needs the work. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And that defense has been banged up, and you would think they might rest the likes of T.J. Watt and some of those guys who've who've really been banged around this season. And I'm curious, too, if this prompts the Buffalo Bills now to, to take uh, a rest week for some of their starters, knowing that the Steelers are going to be doing the same thing. I know they've said repeatedly they're going to play to win, but knowing that the Steelers are going to rest some of their starters, maybe this changes what Sean McDermott wants to do this week against the Dolphins. But this could completely change, Mike, how the wild card race turns out if the Colts end up playing all their starters and the Steelers don't. It could completely change how this thing unfolds for these teams fighting for the wild card burst. Well, and that's right. And look, I look at the Bills right now, and they are in this mode where they are trying to prove themselves week in and week out. And they're trying to convince themselves, more themselves than anyone else, that they are an elite team. And when you look at their last four games, and really the last five, dating back to the bye, I wrrote something earlier today about comments from Bill Safety Micah Hyde regarding what the Hale Murray did for them. And since the bye week, which immediately came after the Hale Murray loss to the Cardinals, it's been double digit win after double digit win. And the margin in the last two weeks, 86, I believe, to 28 between the win over the Broncos and the win over the Patriots. They are proving to the world and themselves that they are one of those special teams, that they are peaking at the right time. I don't know that you'll want to consciously give that up in exchange for some rest that your team, by all appearances, doesn't seem to need. Keep the momentum rolling and also take advantage of the opportunity to knock the Dolphins out of the playoffs because you typically don't want to face a division rival in a winner-take-all 
win or go home type of a setting because a division rival is not going to be afraid of you, intimidated by you, and they're going to relish the chance to come into your building and end your season if they can. One thing about the Browns is they try to go forward with uh, avoiding a 10-6 and six finish to the season that would knock them out of the playoffs like in 2007. Tight end Harrison Bryant, safety Andrew Sandejo, placed on the reserve COVID-19 list earlier this afternoon. Not clear whether that means they tested positive. We had the rash of close contacts over the weekend. Not good for the Browns, though, if it is a sign, Shireen, of some sort of lingering problem that is popping up positives days after the fact as the incubation period continues to hit different guys who have gotten it And then as they shed virus before they're removed from the population, they can expose other guys to it. So this is going to be something that the Browns should be worried about all week long. Absolutely, Mike. And they saw what happened last week when they were without a receiving core. They had one receiver off the active roster and lost the Jets. And that played a big part in that loss or they'd already be in the playoffs and they're not there. And now they're faced with a must win game when they may be missing some other key players uh, this week. But you've got to go on and play with the cards you're dealt, and this is what they're dealt with, and then go beat the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger and assure themselves a playoff berth, and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take beating Mason Rudolph this week, and you know what? If you can't beat the Jets and or Mason Rudolph, you don't deserve to go to the playoffs. I was just formulating that same thought. If you can't beat Mason Rudolph with a postseason berth on the line, then Baker Makefield and the Browns aren't ready to go to the postseason. And I understand what happened last week. It was a strange curveball, although we've known all year that any given team in every given week could face that kind of a curveball. It's still hard to process it. This week, unless a bunch of guys end up unavailable without enough time to adjust The Browns should be able to beat the Steelers if Mason Rudolph is playing quarterback, unless he has discovered some untapped reservoir of football ability and talent that we previously have not witnessed. All due respect to Mason Rudolph. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing to win this weekend against the Falcons as they host Atlanta in the final game of the season. The Buccaneers already have their playoff berth locked up, but they haven't completely locked down the number five seed. The number five seed is a critical seed because that gives you the easiest by far, in theory, wild card round game. Although, Shireen, I continue to be fascinated by the possibility of the Buccaneers traveling to face the New York Giants, the Giants who have bedeviled Tom Brady twice before in Super Bowls and also played Tom Brady and the Buccaneers closer than anyone expected on a Monday night earlier this season. That is my preferred wild card game I know that that you probably would rather see the Cowboys in it uh, but uh, I want the Giants at six and ten maximum chaos hosting 11 and five Buccaneers and let's see what happens it doesn't mean I'll be rooting for the Giants but I just like a little a little chaos because frankly and and this is a reminder to everyone out there before you begin going all in for chaos in the lower levels of the playoffs. Remember that chaos ultimately screws up better games later. We want the Buccaneers and the Packers or the Buccaneers and the Saints to cross paths, not the Giants and the Packers. Are you kidding me? The same thing with Chiefs and Bills. Yeah, it would be great to have a little chaos if one of those teams loses in the divisional round, but at the same time, 
Chiefs and Bills would be an AFC championship game for the ages. So uh, I just want the low-level chaos of Giants in and see Tampa Bay and the Giants play. I probably, for football reasons, will be rooting for the Bucs to win if that happens. Mike, I've rooted for a six-team win to win the AFC East for about the past 10 weeks because you can see it coming, and it's just going to be glorious if that happens. And the only team that can do that, obviously, is the Giants to, to get in. And so I think it would be fantastic. I think it would be a great matchup that we'd be talking about going into the game at least until it got out of hand because I do think it eventually would get out of hand. I think the Bucks would be very focused in that game and uh, and would win that game fairly easily. But it, it would be a juicy storyline for sure uh, that week, the first week of the playoffs, Mike. Probably one of the, one of the juicier uh, headlines of, of that week. But the Giants, by the way, still are in the running, as funny as it seems, still are in the running for the number three overall pick. So there's it's a remote possibility, but they could still get the number three off overall pick as they play for a playoff position this week. It's a strange and screwy NFC East this year. And I've had people ask me, what should the Giants prefer, the third overall pick or the playoff spot? You always, I believe, take a playoff spot. You take the experience that comes from single elimination football, the extra practice time, just the opportunity, the reps. So young players aren't wide-eyed if they make the playoffs next year. And you never know what's going to happen in any given playoff season. And I think it would be Giants-Bucks in one of the primetime spots. The NFL decides which network gets which game and which game is played when. But how could you not, even with the Giants at 6-10, and 10, want a New York team against Tom Brady in what would be, even though a potential blowout, a memorable night at MetLife Stadium? Uh, let's stay in the NFC. The Rams have placed receiver Cooper Cup on the COVID-19 reserve list. Unclear whether that's a positive, which would knock him out for this weekend's game, or or a close contact. And the thing about close contact, you never quite know when the guy pops off because it's five days after exposure and negative testing, and eventually you can come back. We'll see if Cooper Cup is available. The most important thing for the Los Angeles Rams at this point, who missed the playoffs last year after going to Super Bowl 53, no Jared Goff this weekend as they play the Arizona Cardinals in what very well will be an elimination game, depending upon what happens with the Bears. And uh, the Rams, uh, you know, they need all the help they can get If they're not going to have Jared Goff, it's John Wolford at quarterback with Blake Bortles backing him up. Daryl Henderson, one of the top running backs on injured reserve. They need Cam Akers back. Not having Cam Akers this past weekend against the Seahawks hurt them. They are in with a win or a Bears loss to the Packers, and that quite possibly will happen. It may be the Rams don't need this game. It may be they back into the playoffs with John Wolford playing quarterback in his first NFL regular season game. Um, we'll see how, how good of a coach Sean McVay is this weekend, if he can whip up some chicken salad out of John Wolford, Shireen. You know what? I forgot, Mike, and somebody brought this up on social media, and I went and reread that season. But the 1979 Rams season, and I don't know if you remember this, John H- uh, Hayden broke his pinky, Pat Hayden broke his pinky finger, and Vince Ferragamo ended up coming in. And the team was five and six at that point. And under Vince Ferragamo, who had never played in the NFL uh, at all, had never taken a snap, leads them to the Super Bowl. And they almost won the Super Bowl over the Steelers that season. So can John Wolford recreate what Vince Ferragamo did in 1979? I have doubts that that'll happen, but we'll see. It's just a little bit past history that you and I both remember uh, at least that season, if not that exact thing that happened. 
31-19 was the final score of that game. It was the long pass from Terry Bradshaw to John Stallworth just over the outstretched hands of a defensive back. I've got the Sports Illustrated with that photo on the cover as the ball teardrops into John Stallworth's fingers. And that was the moment when, well, it, it still wasn't over, but that was the moment when Steelers fans could exhale at this unexpected threat they got from the Rams. And fast forward 20 years from that to Kurt Warner, although it happened at the beginning of the season, not the end. Shereen, you know, the Rams had some buzz with Marshall Falk and they signed Trent Green from Washington as a free agent. Our friend Rodney Harrison hit Trent Green low in the preseason, blew out his ACL. It's like, okay, scratch the Rams off the list this year. In comes this this guy who played in the Arena League and uh, the World League and he used to bag groceries and nobody's ever heard of Kurt Warner. Well, I heard of Kurt Warner. He was a running back for the Seahawks, actually from Pineville, West Virginia. No, not that Kurt (laughs) Warner. A different Kurt Warner. He spells his first name different and the next thing you know, he's the last guy to be regular season MVP and Super Bowl MVP. So maybe John Walford becomes the next success story. And, And hey, I said it yesterday. If you're going to give Jared Goff or Sean McVay $33.5 million per year, you give it to McVay. This is the chance for McVay to show that he's the one that should be getting the $33.5 million in L.A., not Jared Goff. Yeah, and, and uh, Sean McVay will get that chance this week, Mike, because he has a tough task. And as you said, probably won't get it half Cam Akers because of the high ankle sprain. Daryl Henderson, high ankle sprain. That leaves two rookies behind Malcolm Brown, who's going to be the running back. So John Wolford's not going to have a lot of help, especially if he doesn't have Cooper Cup in the lineup. This is a tall, tall task, not only for John Wolford, but for Sean McVay to try to draw up some plays that will work uh, this week and get them in the playoffs. And if they get there, who knows how they'll do. I have doubts that they'll last very long if they do get in there, but I know they'd like to get in there, and especially the way they've lost over the last two weeks. They should already be in the postseason. I think Sean McVay's best chance to get in the playoffs at this point is to call up Matt LaFleur and do everything he can to help Matt LaFleur beat a Bears team that the Rams manhandled back before the Bears came out of their extended midseason hibernation. One last point before we break. Dwayne Haskins clears waivers, now a free agent. I can't imagine anyone signing him for the balance of the season with everything that's gone on. And I can't imagine him wanting to jump on board with anyone. I think you step back, you regroup, and you wait and see what happens in the offseason. And the guy to watch is Urban Meyer. If his former Ohio State coach ends up taking a head coaching job with an NFL team and doesn't want him, then no one should. But I assume that Urban Meyer would at least be interested in trying to bring Dwayne Haskins in and getting something out of him unless – Urban Meyer goes to Jacksonville, and Trevor Lawrence becomes his guy, and then Dwayne Haskins would have no path to a starting job. Yeah, and Dwayne Haskins is up against it now because his options are going to be limited. Mike, you brought up Earl Thomas uh, yesterday, and I was thinking about that. Can you believe that Earl Thomas is one of those guys? You always think, well, these guys have talent. They're going to get signed by somebody. Nobody signed Earl Thomas, and is it going to be like that for Dwayne Haskins? Is his career going to be over? Or does he get another chance somewhere else? Maybe as Josh Rhodes is now is getting his next chance with the San Francisco 49ers. Well, the thing about Earl Thomas that nobody wanted to accept all year long is that he is, as the kids would say, washed. Haskins is still at the early end of his career. He's only 23. Youth, immaturity, a little bit of stupidity, and some entitlement that comes from being the 15th overall pick in the draft. 
I think there's a chance he turns it around, and I think Urban Meyer is the most likely candidate to give him that opportunity if Urban Meyer takes a job where they need a quarterback to compete for the starting spot. Detroit would make the most sense if that's ultimately what happens and if they move on from Matthew Stafford. We move on from that to a rewatch of the Colts at Steelers game from Week 16. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right here on Peacock and Sirius XM 211 right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Sunday, the Indianapolis Colts had a 24-7 lead over the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second half. The Steelers finally woke up from a month-long funk and pulled off the victory over Indianapolis. We took a closer look at that game, and as always, we break it down into various categories here on PFTPM. And Shereen, let's start with, after closer inspection of that Pittsburgh win, best player on the field. Who have you selected? I picked T.J. Watt, Mike, and he had three tackles, two sacks, and a forced fumble. And I just thought that strip sack there early in the second quarter, 14-37 left, was huge because at best the Steelers were looking at being down 21-0 at halftime. But they picked it up, ran it to the three-yard lines, and it was—it still took the offense three plays to get in the end zone from the three, Mike. And but that, to me, was a turning point because if they don't score in that first half, I think that Ben Roethlisberger's speech at halftime would have been for null and void because they would have been so far behind. And then, the, obviously, the Colts came out and got the field, field goal, so it, was tw- it would have been 24 nothing at that point. And I don't know. That's just a steep climb back for a team. And I just thought that, that play was huge. And, you know, when you start talking about Defensive Player of the Year, Mike, I think it's going to be a very difficult decision to pick between T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. And Mike Tomlin said today that T.J. Watt is a guy from another planet, and and I think he is. Let's hear from Mike Tomlin. You know, T.J. is visiting from another planet, to be quite honest with you. 
Um, he has freakishly unique talent coupled with freakishly unique work habits and mindset, and it produces what you guys witness every week, which in my opinion is defensive player of the year quality. You know, Shereen, I asked T.J. Watt after the game on Sunday if he thinks about, cares about, wants to be in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year, an award his brother J.J. has won three times. T.J. said, I'd rather win the Super Bowl. Now, that wasn't a dig at his brother. And frankly, when you consider what Mike Tomlin said about T.J. Watt, let's spin it forward, shall we? Because that same alien DNA is inside the body of J.J. Watt. If J.J. doesn't return to the Texans, and I think they'll respect his wishes if he asks to be released or traded, could you imagine J.J. and T.J. on the field at the same time next year for the Pittsburgh Steelers? And I know some would say, well, they don't really need him. They've got plenty of great players. Well, the more guys you put in the defensive line rotation, the better off you are. And the idea of both of those guys playing for that Steelers defense should scare the crap out of every other quarterback in the AFC North and beyond, Shereen. Absolutely. You look with what Washington's done with that rotation, and the Steelers have had their rotation, and it's been great. And J.J.'s on the downside of his career, Mike, so he needs to get in a spot where he is in a rotation, where he doesn't have to produce every single play, and he doesn't have to make those game-changing plays. And I think if he plays fewer snaps, he's able to do that. And with the Steelers, certainly he would play a lesser role, and that would be perfect for him on the downside of his career. You know, for me, it's Ben Roethlisberger is the player of the game. He's taken so much crap, although he deserves plenty of it. He hasn't played well. And he said, when you play like poo, I think he used the word poo, you're going to be criticized. That's how it goes. He's a big boy. He's getting 30 million plus per year. He can take it. It's not the first time he's been criticized in his career. He woke it up in the second half, though. Look at those numbers. 23 of 29, 244 yards, three touchdowns in the second half. You mentioned the speech at halftime. Plenty of people I know who are Steelers fans was hoping that speech would be a retirement speech from Ben Roethlisberger at halftime. They were done with him. I mean, the Steelers fans, and I, hey, you start a season 11-0 and it all falls apart, I can understand the frustration. But Roethlisberger found a way to will the team to victory. Great performance from him. Set aside the first half. It just made the second half more memorable and more dramatic. Ben Roethlisberger, best player on the field. All right, let's uh, flip it over to a guy who seemed better when you watched it again than you thought he was when it was all unfolding live on Sunday. Well, Mike, I think it's Jonathan Taylor, and we kind of forget him in, in the rookie talk of, of how good these rookies are, this rookie class, and it looks like an outstanding rookie class, and he's one of those guys, and he played great, I thought, in this game, and after the first drive of the second half, uh, the team had 25 carries for 117 yards, and he had 16 carries for 74 yards and two touchdowns, and the Colts really got away from the run after that. Uh, they only had three carries or 25 yards in their last five possessions. And probably why they lost the game. They should have turned to Taylor a little bit more. He only finished with 18 carries for 74 yards and two touchdowns. But I thought he played a really solid game, and they just needed to give him more chances late, Mike, to have a chance to win the game. Yeah, for me, it's Eric Ebron. Just because this narrative has really taken root that – He's not very good, that he drops too many balls. And look, he's the last guy drafted before Aaron Donald and Odell Beckham Jr. back in 2014, and he's never going to live that down, at least not in my mind. But he had a solid game, and he had one of the touchdowns on the way back, the second touchdown that pulled it to 
what was it at the time? 24, 24-7, it was made 24-21. My math is, is for a change, correct. 24-21, and really created the first sense that the Steelers are going to pull this damn thing out. And, uh, you know, no drops, um, reliable, willed his way into the end zone when he caught that pass down near the goal line. So I, I got to give Eric Ebron some credit because that narrative really has taken root, that he's just kind of overrated, underachieving. He had that one good year in Indianapolis. They eventually moved on from him. The Lions didn't care for him. And he'd been not as good as I thought he was going to be this year in Pittsburgh, but he was a key contributor on Sunday in that unlikely win. Give me who had a game that they would like to forget, Shireen. Well, Mike, I thought it was the Colts secondary. In the second half, they had four huge penalties. There were three defensive pass interference penalties uh, and an and illegal contact, and it was 53 yards that, that they flat out gave the Steelers, and it was four, three different players. Xavier Rhodes had two of the penalties. Uh, T.J. Carey had one, and Kenny Moore had one, and they really spread it around. But they did just a terrible job uh, as Ben threw for 342 yards uh, and those three touchdowns, and a lot of that damage, as we saw, came in the second half against the secondary that just couldn't find a way to, to get the Steelers off the field. Yeah, and I'm going to stick with the unit as well. I thought about the front seven of the Colts' defense, but since you took the secondary, I'll give them a break. I'm going to flip it over, and one of the things Sims has been saying for the past yeah. few years with all this talk about the wall that's being built along our southern border, he talks about the wall that's being built in Indianapolis in the form of their offensive line, and uh, the wall did not hold on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, five sacks of Philip Rivers. The offense went into a funk. You know, when you get a lead like that, that's when you, you know, we always talk about a defensive line pinning the ears back when they have a lead. Well, an offensive line, when you've got a lead, that's their moment to beat the other team's front seven into submission and really find a higher level and cement that victory. And and we can blame Phillip Rivers and blame the receivers and blame the defense and blame this and blame that. But to the extent that this is an elite offensive line, they didn't play that way on Sunday. And I think they uh, very much would like to forget how things unfolded. All right, one more topic coming out of our rewatch. A play to take a closer look at, Shereen. Which play of all the plays in that game, that game of two different halves, very different halves, which one did you select? Well, Mike, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but there's 104 left in the game in the first half, and the Colts faced the third down and long at their own 11-yard line. And they rushed up to line, and Tony Romo made a big deal out of this. They rushed up to the line like they were going to quick snap it and go, and the Steelers had all three timeouts, and they don't call a timeout. And I'm just yelling at the TV, timeout, timeout, timeout. And Romo explained, oh, no, they think the Colts are going to quick snap this ball and they'll get a free timeout. Well, of course they didn't. And I thought Rivers really uh, snookered Mike Tomlin there. And they end up not getting any points out of that. The Steelers, they drive down to the uh, Colts 40 and they run out of time. And they went to the locker room with the timeout in their pocket. And I thought that was just a huge error on Mike Tomlin's part. Yeah, and, you know, it's amazing. That rarely happens to Mike Tomlin, but Phillip Rivers, been around a long time, very savvy, knows how to play those games, and from time to time manipulate the other coach into thinking that something is happening that isn't happening. What registered for me and the game and the play in the game that, that, that I think was clearly the turning point, after the Steelers drive down to the two, and it's fourth down, and instead of taking the field goal and making it 24-10, to 10, a two-score game at that point, they decide to go for the end zone, and it doesn't work. And that was where, 
And, and on a Sunday, when I'm up here in the studio watching the full grid of games that is being piped in from Connecticut, and in the upper left corner was the Steelers-Colts game, right after that play, that's when I say, okay, you may as well turn that one off. This one's over. The Steelers had their chance. They, their backs have been broken. Well, that was when they woke up. Defensively, three and out. They get the ball on the Indy 39, and on that first play, after the offense had been so bad all game long, and Ben Roethlisberger's been criticized for not getting the ball down the field, and Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, criticized for not dialing up more deep balls, and it's not working, and guys are dropping, and Deontay Johnson, you know, dropping everything that came his way. 39 yards to the end zone. Deontay Johnson laying out. He may be one of these receivers that needs a higher degree of difficulty so he doesn't think too much about the catch. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of guys that if, if, it's, if you're looking it in and it's an easy catch, you're more likely to drop it. When you just have to go get it, you don't think about it, and it worked. And that was the turning point of the game. That was the moment where the Steelers had life. And I, I've gone back and watched that over and over and over again. I mean, if they can stretch the field like that, in the playoffs, and you have to defend that. That's the kind of thing that's going to help your running game open up, and it's going to keep that short passing game from being smothered by defensive backs who are anticipating it. As Sims has said, the Steelers have become predictable in their predictableness. If you can stretch the field that way and you can give opposing defenses that on film to be concerned about, you have a better chance of your base offense working more effectively, and specifically the run game. Shereen, that's what I continue to worry about from the Steelers' perspective, that run game. Yes, 20 yards absolutely. for James Conner. Uh, and I understand the game got out of hand for them, and you have to switch to the passing game, but, but old-time Steelers football is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and they have got to discover that in the playoffs, or they are not going to make it past the first round. And I don't think they will make it past the first round, Mike, unless they can find that running game. And I don't know that they can. This may be a one-and-done team. Um, they did put together a second half to get in the postseason, but now they got to figure it out going into the postseason and turn this thing around, turn this running game around if they're going to continue into the postseason. With one game left, and there's so many permutations, the Steelers would never admit this, but... I suspect that they do not want to cross paths with the Ravens in the wild card round because Absolutely. I believe the Ravens, number one, are the better team. Number two, grossly outplayed the Steelers in week eight, grossly outplayed them. The Steelers somehow won the game. And then when they had that six-day delayed Thanksgiving game and the Ravens didn't have Lamar Jackson, they were down this guy and that guy, and they'd gone through a week and a half of a COVID outbreak and they still kept it close. Although 1914 is a little misleading because that last touchdown was a garbage time thing that made it closer. And Mike Tomlins ran after the game, made it seem like it was closer than it was. But still, you give the Ravens their full complement of players, I think they can beat the Steelers, especially at Heinz Field with no fans there. I think the Steelers, however that board works out, you're, if you're watching the scoreboard and you're doing the math and you're the Steelers, <laughs> yeah. you want the end result not to be Steelers 3 Ravens 6, Steelers 2, Ravens 7. You don't want anything to do with that outcome. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I don't think they match up well with the Ravens. I think they know that, and I think they would much rather have the Browns or Dolphins or whoever else they could possibly get than to face the Ravens again. All right, time to take a break. When we return, MDS will join us for the Week 16 Awards. Offense, defense, rookie, coach. We'll do that next here on PFT.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, Tuesday edition of PFTPM, as we do every Tuesday during the season, we hand out awards. MDS joins Shereen Williams and me to do that now, and let's get right to it like we always do. Offensive player of the week for Week 16, MDS, who do you have? I have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who really put on one of the performances of the year in relief of Tua Tugavailoa. That throw, while he was being face-masked, thank you for putting that up at the moment I say it, was just such a phenomenal play by Ryan Fitzpatrick. He, he's got such toughness and grit and all these things you like about a guy. The only thing I don't like is that he's not starting week 17. I think he's the better quarterback on the roster. In my humble opinion, he ought to be the starter when they're fighting for a playoff berth. We shall see how it plays out, but he's definitely my player of the week of week 16. We'll see if we see him on the field week 17. MDS, I took the other obvious choice, which is Alvin Kamara. We all know what he did, and he had six touchdowns. And frankly, it should have been seven touchdowns because Taysom Hill shouldn't have gotten the one before uh, Alvin Kamara got his last one. So he should have set the NFL record alone with seven touchdowns, but he didn't get that opportunity. 22 carries, 155 yards, just outstanding. And I think maybe, Mike, that he should make those red and green Christmas shoes the shoes he wears every single week, even if he has to pay a fine. Yeah, whatever the fine is, just pay it. Just build it into your budget for the year because there was something about those shoes. The shoes that they didn't make him take off, even though they made Odo Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry take off non-conforming cleats during the 2019 season. I still can't get a straight answer from anyone on why that was the case for them and not the case for Alvin Kamara. The Grinch eventually will force him to make a contribution to the NFL's equivalent of the human fund, but they didn't make him take off the shoes, and that was something to see. Six touchdowns, fourth time ever in NFL history that a player has scored six times in a game. I thought we were going to see history of a different kind on Saturday at halftime when Tom Brady had 348 passing yards. I assumed that between Brady... 
the fact that he was back in Michigan for the last time, most likely in his career, and that he was playing for coach No Risk It, No Biscuit, I thought for sure he would stay in the game and he would try to get 207 passing yards in the second half against a grossly overmatched Lions defense in order to break a record that goes back to 1951. The single-game passing yardage record more than 20 years before the NFL decided to embrace passing the football. Norm Van Brocklin had 554. I thought that that was the day the record was going to fall. But even without playing in the second half, 348 and four touchdowns, Brady's my offensive player of the week for Week 16. He won't be the NFC Offensive Player of the Week because of Kamara, but uh, yeah, that would have been an interesting choice. If he had set the single-game record yeah. and Kamara has six touchdowns in the same weekend, which guy is the NFC Offensive Player of the Week? But the league office doesn't have to figure that one out. All right, Defensive Player of the Week, MDS, who do you have? Well, I went with Steelers linebacker Avery Williamson, who contributed 14 tackles. That was tied for the most that any player had across the NFL this week. And I just thought that he really epitomized exactly what the Steelers were hoping for when they made that midseason trade to acquire him after they lost Devin Bush to a season-ending knee injury. They needed a linebacker who was going to be very active, showing up a lot. And I think Avery Williamson, at the right time, is becoming that player for them. He was very excited. It was the first time he ever won a division in his career, and he talked about how different that was than what it was like playing on the Jets for the first half of the season when they didn't win a game. So Avery Williamson, he's excited. He's peaking at the right time, and I think he's one of the players the Steelers are really going to need to play well in the playoffs. MDS, the Cowboys are going to need Randy Gregory to play like he did on Sunday if they're going to have a chance to win this this weekend against the Giants and have a chance to win the NFC East. And, you know, Randy Gregory has been very open about his social anxiety disorder. He's been suspended four times for using marijuana. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. Love the kid. Huge heart. Works hard. This time last year, he was about to get a suspension. And what he did, he went and worked at the Amazon warehouse, making fifteen fifty an hour just to have something to do and bring home some money to his family. And here he is now back playing in the NFL, had three forced fumbles, a sack and a half. And this is a guy who had only had seven sacks in his career before this weekend. And I think he's really starting to play like the Cowboys thought he was going to play when they made him a second round pick. Yeah, I agree with you there, and uh, it's great to see that story. And I remember earlier this year when Alden Smith was having great performances, he couldn't get the attention of the folks at Park Avenue who hand out the weekly awards or the monthly award. I still think Alden Smith should have been the Defensive Player of the Month for the NFC in September. We'll see if Randy Gregory gets some love. I think he should be considered for Defensive Player of the Week for the NFC, although he'll have some competition in the form of Roquan Smith, the Bears linebacker, who was snubbed for the Pro Bowl, had two interceptions and a fumble recovery in that win over the Jaguars. And the Bears' defense is so critical to this this turnaround. You know, that we take their defense for granted, but if they can play at a high level while the offense just does enough, 
This is a team that is going to be very difficult to beat if they make it into the postseason field. And this is one of those teams where if you're the Saints, I don't know that you're all that thrilled about the possibility of the Bears coming to town. If you're the Seahawks with no fans there, I don't think you want the Bears as your opening opponent in the postseason run. So the Bears could make things very interesting. So we give some credit to Roquan Smith and the Bears for what they're doing defensively and getting that 41-17 win over Jacksonville. Time for the Rookie of the Week. MDS, who do you have? I have T. Higgins, the second-round pick out of Clemson, the first player chosen in the second round. And I don't know if we've talked enough about what a good year he's having for the Bengals. He had 99 yards and a touchdown in the win over the Texans. He only needs to catch one more pass to break Chris Collinsworth's Bengals franchise rookie record for catches in a season. He's over 900 yards, could hit 1,000 yards on Sunday. And he's doing it on a team that, of course, has had to play three different quarterbacks. I, I don't think we've had much to be excited about with the Bengals in recent years. But if Joe Burrow is healthy, he and T. Higgins, I think, could be a really exciting combination for many years to come. He looked really good against the Texans, helping out a team that doesn't have a very good quarterback situation right now. I like the promise that he has to do big things in Cincinnati. MDS, Packers fans moaned and groaned when the team used a second-round draft pick on A.J. Dillon, and frankly, he had done next to nothing, 115 yards and no touchdowns uh, before this past weekend. But he really went off. Uh, First time this season, 21 carries, 124 yards and two touchdowns. And maybe the Packers are seeing something where they don't re-sign Aaron Jones. Maybe he leaves in free agency and A.J. Dillon is their running back. But they're going to find out over the next few games whether he can do the job and he'll get a chance to prove that. But, Mike, he needs to work on the Lambeau leap a little bit. Well, it's it's hard to leap anywhere with those legs. You got to carry those legs up over the wall. Uh, and and uh, at least Aaron Rodgers set a low bar for the Lambeau leap this year. On AJ Dillon, though, you know the the idea that you just say to Aaron Jones, "Thanks for everything. We're going to let you become a free agent." Look, uh, for for every for every Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook who deliver, and also Derrick Henry on that big second contract, there's one or two other guys that you scratch your head, like Ezekiel Elliott, like uh, Christian McCaffrey, who promptly got injured. And and I know that it's not his fault that he hasn't been able to perform this year, but as a running back, if you get injured, that's one of the, you know, one of the key things that keeps you from being on the field and one of the things that your team needs. So interesting point that you make. Do the Packers let Aaron Jones go? Uh, that'll be an interesting offseason dilemma for them. For me, rookie of the week, I am going with Chase Young, although he's going to be the defensive rookie of the year, and he's a bright spot on that team. And I suggested at one point, joking around, that if you have quarterback issues, just run the single wing and snap the ball to him. I wouldn't want to try to tackle this guy. We've seen what he can do with the ball in his hands, holding it like Walter Payton. But uh, he is a force. He keeps the Washington football team in every game. And if they're going to win on Sunday night on NBC against the Eagles to get into the postseason, they're going to need another big game from Chase Young. All right, let's do Coach of the Week, MDS. Who do you have? I have a coach we have not yet given our Coach of the Week honor here heading into the 17th and final week of the season. And that is Jets coach Adam Gase, who's now won two games in a row, and both of them, against teams fighting for playoff berths. So you have to say that's pretty legit. His players are still playing hard for him. Adam Gase has taken a ton of criticism this year 
a lot of it has been justifiable criticism, but you, you cannot say that he doesn't still have his players playing hard. We've seen other teams that look like they're phoning it in at this point in the year when they're out of playoff contention. The Jets are not one of those teams, and I think you do have to give Adam Gase some credit for that. MDS, I also picked a coach we haven't honored this year, and that's Mike McCarthy. And, you know, early in the year, he got questioned a lot for some of his fourth down decisions and fake punts and fake field goals and everything else he did. Well, this time he settled for two red zone field goals. And I'm like, what are you doing settling for the two red zone field goals when you went for it all year and said you couldn't be scared? But you know what? When it works, nobody questions you afterwards. And nobody's questioning Mike McCarthy. It's worked. They, uh, since they went 3-9, and nine, they're undefeated, and they have a chance to win the NFC East, Mike, as unbelievable as that is. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. And it's unbelievable when you consider how bad the Dolphins were when Brian Flores became the head coach and, and all of the, the speculation that they were deliberately tanking in September of 2019. They have really turned it around since then. They're on the brink of the postseason. It's not going to be easy to get in, but Flores is my coach of the week. For the way that he just handles with a steady hand – the, the quarterback situation, knowing when to yank to a Tonga Valoa, knowing when to put Ryan Fitzpatrick on the field, knowing how to keep Fitzpatrick from griping about not being the starter going into, for example, Week 17 against the Bills back in Buffalo, one of the various places where Fitzpatrick once played, not having Tonga Vailoa get his nose out of joint when he gets yanked from a game for Fitzpatrick, knowing exactly how long to use Fitzpatrick so Fitzmagic doesn't flip to Fitztragic. It's just amazing how he's gotten this all to work. And we haven't heard a peep from anyone in the locker room arguing that what you know what is Brian Flores doing, what's going on here. They're all on board. They have all bought in. It's amazing to see how it has worked out for Miami, and it will be sad to see them not make the playoffs if that's what happens. But between the Texans, not the Texans, they're already out, the Titans, the Colts, the Ravens, the Browns, and the Dolphins, one of those teams with 10 wins or possibly 11 is not going to be in the postseason field. All right, we say goodbye to MDS. We say goodbye to you just for a second. We'll be back with... An unveiling of the new PFT power rankings uh, and a new team at number one. We'll be right back. All right, currently a thing on Twitter, the concept of having a mundane experience with someone more famous than you. This uh, guy has gotten some run because he went fishing with Nick Saban. So, Shireen... Give me a mundane experience you've had with someone more famous than you. Mike, you know, being what we do, we've had a lot of these. And one of my favorites was I got to go on the golf course with Tony Romo so many times and follow him around. It was really cool. And that's when he was the most open. And you talked about golf, didn't even talk about football much. And it was just, it was fun. It was a fantastic experience every time I did it. And I did it multiple times at multiple tournaments. And at one tournament, we had to go find a lost golf ball that he had that ended up being out of bounds. And he signed the photo that appeared in the Dallas Morning News. And he said, I always thought it would be the other way around. Thanks for your help, uh, even though we didn't find the ball. But uh, one, of, one of my favorite experiences was, was following Tony Romo on the golf course. Never got to play with him, and maybe I will one day. When Football Night in America was being filmed at 30 Rockefeller Plaza on the same floor where they do Saturday Night Live. There were plenty of mundane experiences, both while, like, because we used to do Notre Dame halftime, Peter King and I, and we would have encounters with all sorts of famous people as they were doing rehearsal. And also the hotel that we always stayed at in New York 
was a place where a lot of famous people would stay. So I can say road elevator with a bunch of different people. David Beckham, Steve Buscemi, Winona Ryder, just weird stuff. We were just kind of standing there and they're on the elevator and it's no big deal. Football related. Every time I go to the Super Bowl, I'm on the same plane with Frank O'Hara's flying back every same time, every damn year. Frank O'Hara, and there he is. And he's such a nice guy, incredibly nice guy. People go up to him all the time, talk to him, and he'll talk to anyone. But my favorite one, and I don't want to take up all the time in the segment talking about this, this just resonates. It's burned into my brain. When I was a kid, the Steelers used to send like a group of players around to play basketball against local celebrities. And my dad took me when the Steelers came to town to play whoever the celebrities were in my hometown. And after the game, they're signing autographs. And Frenchie Fuke was signing autographs. And my dad handed the pen. And Frenchie Fuke signs the autograph, hands it back, and then moves on to the next person with the pen. And for as long as I live and possibly beyond, I remember my dad saying, Mr. Fuqua, can I have my pen back? Because I was so impressed that my dad (laughs) would say to Frenchie Fuqua, give me back my damn pen. So uh, with that, let's uh, unveil the power rankings at the very top. Not the Steelers, although they were there not long ago. We have a new sheriff in town, and I don't usually do this, Shireen. I like to hold the number one team in place as long as the number one team wins. But, you know, it hit me just minutes before I pressed publish. I said, wait, 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 wait. Let's think about this. The Chiefs have been screwing around with inferior talent. There's questions about their offensive line. The Bills have been dominant since the Hale-Murray game. The Hale-Murray game woke them up. Double-digit wins every game. They've had four straight nationally televised games. They've been awesome in every game. Outscored their opponents 86-28 to the last two games. I did it. I put the Bills at number one. That doesn't mean I think the Bills would beat the Chiefs because the Chiefs always find a way. But right now, I think the best team in the NFL is the Buffalo Bills. They certainly played like it. I kept the Chiefs at number one, but when I, I, we both had the same top three. That, to me, is the three teams that have a chance to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going below three. I think it's Kansas City, Green Bay, or Buffalo that's going to win the Super Bowl. I'm ruling out pretty much everybody else. I don't think Whoa, the Saints have Tampa played Bay. like the Saints should Tampa play. Bay? Ta- How can you rule out the, the nah, team, know, your Tampa go- Bay Buccaneers? They got to go on the road and win, though. Can they do it that many times, Mike? I don't know. I, I don't know. At least home field, the advantage for them, home field really isn't home field, but they're going to have to play in some cold places. We know Brady does well there. Can the rest of the team adapt to the cold weather? The thing about the best teams in the NFC, they all are capable of laying an egg with no advance warning. All of them. Packers, Saints, Buccaneers, Seahawks. Done it. Everyone who gets in is capable of having a bad game. And – And that's what it's going to be every week. It's going to be a clash of these good teams and somebody's going to have a bad game and they're going to be gone and that's going to be it. And I think the Buccaneers can finagle their way through that playoff tree. They can win at Lambeau Field. I mean, Tom Brady playing outdoors in the cold. Who cares? That doesn't phase him. And I think the Buccaneers are the team in the NFC that has the best chance of winning the Super Bowl or at least keeping it close. I don't think these other teams are going to have a prayer against the Chiefs, although I know the Saints kept it close with the Chiefs. It's not going to be in the Superdome if they, they play. Do, who do you – who give me, on our way out, who's the one team you think from the NFC that could win it all? Packers? Packers. Packers. All right, that's it. See you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.